the past two Sundays, there's a certain issue that I've addressed, and that is the success of the transmission of the gospel and of the faith to the next generation, to the success of generations. And uh, talked about how sometimes the faith has been uh, passed on in a way that's been really kind of inadequate. There's a sort of a distortion of the gospel. And I talked about this kind of teenager-style religion. It's very popular uh, in America right now. And then uh, spoke about the importance of trying to reach our adult children who maybe they, they have not tried to pass on the faith at all to their, to their children, to our grandchildren, not coming to Mass. They're very disinterested, very disaffected from the Roman Catholic Church. This is the case in the Northeast. You know, in other places of the states, it's, it looks different. But in the Northeast, which was historically a very Catholic area, uh, this is the situation. So one of the main objections or one of the main problems I think that's brought up quite uh, readily and frequently uh, when it comes to this topic, is the church's teaching on sexual morality. And uh, basically the idea here is, you know, the church has got nothing to give to us but a big pack of no's. No, you can't do this, and no, you can't do that. Um, and it's portrayed, the church's message on human sexuality is portrayed in a very negative light. It's just a kind of a, a big series of prohibitions. So this is a misconception, though, and this is kind of what I'm going to be speaking about today. Of course, the church's teaching on sexual morality does contain, contain some no's. These no's, though, presuppose a, a more fundamental yes. Church's approach to human sexuality is fundamentally positive. To understand the church's message about human sexuality, we need to see our sexuality as a gift. Now, the recipient of a gift does not come up with or even choose the gifts he receives. It comes to him ready-made as an expression of the giver's love. And it would be rude of him to tamper with it or sell it or throw it away. So also, the nature of human sexuality is not something we've devised. It's not something we've invented. Uh, we haven't even chosen it. It's something that we can't tamper with or disrespect. It comes to us ready-made from God as an expression of his love for us. And it, there's two elements here now. It bears his mark. It's got like his fingerprints on it. And it also speaks to us in his name. It represents him. It's almost like God's prophet. I mean, and it speaks on his behalf. So how does it bear God's mark, that fingerprint? What am I talking about here? Well, we go back to Genesis chapter 1. The Bible says that in the beginning, God's image was reflected in man and woman together. It's very interesting. So it's man and woman together that reflect the image of God. This is the passage God said, let us make man in our image. Note there, also very interesting, first person plural, our image. So it's kind of an intimation of the Holy Trinity right from the beginning of the Bible. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful, multiply, so forth and so on. Masculinity and femininity in combination with each other are God's image. They were created as complementary to each other, and together they were meant to be fruitful. In the loving union of husband and wife, and in the children resulting from their union, the marriage partners were to be an image of the communion of divine persons, which is God, the Holy Trinity. Like the relations between the divine persons within the Trinity, the relationship of man and woman in the covenant of marriage was meant to be one of freedom, love, mutual self-giving, and fruitfulness. What an amazing gift. What else can we have for this gift but gratitude? 
And so we heard in our psalm this morning, let all your works give you thanks, O Lord. But not only does the human uh, does the gift of human sexuality bear the mark of God, that fingerprint, it also speaks to us on behalf of God. It's like God's prophets. And it makes us a promise. Human sexuality is not only meant to be an image of the communion of divine persons, which is God, but it was meant to speak also of the future communion of human persons with the persons of the Trinity. Earthly marriage foreshadows a future marriage, so to speak, between humanity and God, a future union between mankind and God that will take place at the resurrection of the dead when God's kingdom has finally come. Again, as we heard in our psalm, the created works of God, including human sexuality, are to discourse of the glory of God's kingdom. So we see here how God intended things to be at the beginning, and we see how he wants them to be at the end. But what about right here and now? Well, because of lust, things right now are far from ideal. Original sin has caused all of us to inherit a fallen human nature that is prey to the vice of lust. It's lust that has dimmed the native brightness of human sexuality and muffled its prophetic voice. We see this in our second reading, where St. Paul speaks about living according to the flesh. Now, when St. Paul uses the term flesh in a negative sense, and he does quite a bit in his epistles, he's not saying the human body is bad. Rather, he's speaking about human nature as a whole, and he's speaking about it as fallen, not as it was originally created. That's really important to get. Human body is not bad. The Bible teaches the human body is very good. It's just that original sin has tampered with things. In the beginning, the human mind and the body were perfectly integrated. The bodies and the passions and the emotions of the first humans were in perfect harmony with their intelligence and their free will. And harmony reigned not only within the human person, but between man and woman. The bodies of the first humans were perfect expressions of their spirits. Their bodies revealed their persons perfectly. In the marital embrace, there was a fullness of communication and communion. Marriage, in all its psychological and physical aspects, was a place of mutual belonging, selfless giving, joyful receiving. Man and woman had full control of themselves in perfect self-mastery, and so they were totally free to give themselves to each other without any reserve, without any neediness, without any fear. Love reigns supreme. But when lust comes on the scene, the human person loses inner unity, that inner integrity. The lower parts of the soul begin to act out, so to speak. They dominate the higher parts. Lust interprets the human body not as an expression of the person, but as an object to be used for selfish gratification. The body was once the basis of communion between persons. Now, though, lust uses the body to sever communion between persons. Men manipulate women's emotions just to get them in bed. Women use their bodies to get men's attention and affection. And so we've fallen from mutual self-giving to mutual using, and the division Between the sexes begins broken hearts, broken families, damaged children, fractured societies. Not love, but selfishness reigns. Oh, what a tragedy. What emptiness. What loneliness. What weariness. 
What a burden. But can we not hear the voice of the Savior calling to us in today's gospel? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Yes, lust is a burden. It's oppressive. But Christ comes as liberator. He says, take my yoke upon you and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden light. Contrary to popular belief, the yoke that Jesus speaks of here is not a set of external rules. A pack of no's, no you can't do this and no you can't do that. The yoke he speaks of is an internal law of freedom. It's the transforming grace of God. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that heals our fallen nature and enables us to live according to God's original plan for men and women. And that's what St. Paul is speaking of in our second reading when he says, you are not in the flesh, on the contrary you are in the spirit. Consequently, we are not debtors to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. By the power of Christ working in us, our human sexuality, wounded by lust, can begin to heal and function as it was meant to. Through the power of Christ, men and women as sexual beings can begin to live in true freedom and love, expressing God's Trinitarian love. This is a process, of course, takes work and effort on our part. It requires us to cooperate with God's grace. Uh, And as St. Paul says, by the power of the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the body, but the victory has already been won by Jesus. What if, though, because of mortal sin, we're not, as St. Paul presumes his audience to be, in the Spirit? What if, because of mortal sin, we're lacking the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, there is mercy and forgiveness, and an opportunity to start over again through repentance and the sacrament of reconciliation. God's grace can put us back on the road to holiness. And once we're restored to grace and have the power of the Spirit in us, we can set out with fresh vigor on the journey of healing and sanctification. Hope is never lost. Through the sacraments and by God's grace, we really can live a life of true love, free from the tyranny of lusts. Division between the sexes, isolation, loneliness, these can be overcome. Real communion between men and women and real friendship between people in general can be realized. What awesome news, my brothers and sisters. And so in closing, we have to ask the question, who has the negative view of sex, the church or the church's critics, who believe basically that lust will always win out and it's completely hopeless, you might as well give into it and live accordingly. My prayer is that we can get inspired by the beauty and the positive view of sexuality put forth by the Bible and the church. We can and should learn about the particular no's of sexual morality, and each in and of itself could provide a topic uh, for a homily. But we must first understand that every no is only a no because it threatens a fundamental yes. That is the biblical and Catholic vision of love and marriage. It's this affirming and optimistic vision that will speak to the hearts of men and women today. It's this affirming and optimistic view that we must share with others, including our children, inviting them to reconsider the faith they received when they were younger but have left behind as adults.